They protect the people of South Africa. These are the men of Squad Cars. Live around the campfire. This is how it sounds. And uh, I've just been on a fantastic trip recently. Recently, soon, I did a fantastic trip into the heart of the Karoo with our very f- dear friends, Chris and Julie, Chris Maria and Julian Detoy. Uh, they've written a series of Karoo road books, photographed and published by Julian and Chris in a massive quilt of magic stories brought to you from the outback of South Africa. And to talk to us about them now, on the line, all the way from, what is the new name of your lovely hometown, Chris? Hi, Dave. Craddock is now officially in Cuba. Gee. Um, and um, after 20 years of writing books, uh, Chris, unfortunately, this line is just not holding it. I, I, is there? Uh, shall we take a breather and I'll come back and try you on a on a clean line? Okay, that's the problem. I'll chat to you in a sec. Chris, are you are you there? I'm right. I'm right here. Can you hear me? Oh yeah, that's better. That's good. Oh, that's excellent. Okay, so let's get let's unpack the premise because, as I said earlier in the introduction, if you were listening to the show, that we'll be launching a brand new podcast series going forward, and the podcast series is going to be literally chapter by chapter, taking us on a road trip through the Karoo. It's going to be concentrating on your third in the trilogy of Karoo Road Books. And it's, it's a collection of more than 60 outstanding Karoo stories in the three books gathered over 20 years of rambling on dirt roads and forgotten highways in snow and sunshine. And the characters that you come across, um, well, they are just some of the most precious people on the planet. But let's start with the beginning of the story, Chris. How did you find yourselves after a very high-profile Run as a, as a as a journalist and an editor in some of the the big publications in the country uh, and the big newspapers in the country. You you then opted out and ended up in the in the. We many of us thought that you'd kind of lost the plot because I mean, who on earth would go and live <laughs> in Craddock in the Karoo? But you obviously knew more than we did because it's become. The Karoo has become almost synonymous with the, 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 the heart of South Africa or the soul of, of, of South Africa. And, and everyone seems to be wanting to get back to the heart and soul of South Africa in the nicest possible way. So a road trip into the Karoo now is the thing to do. How did you guys decide on that uh, venture 20-odd years back or more, longer? You know, Julie and I used to travel from Johannesburg assignments in Cape Town and the Karoo was this barren, flat place that we couldn't wait to get through fast enough. Um, and then one day we did a very slow meander through the Karoo to Cape Town for a change. Uh, we set the world land speed record for the slowest trip in a, in a motor car uh, from Johannesburg to Cape Town of 27 days. We stopped at lots of little towns and uh, we started to feel a taste for the Karoo. And then um, we came to Craddock on an assignment, 
and we just met the locals who turned out to be just the kind of people we wanted to live with. Um, we love Joburg, but, you know, there comes a time when you need a change of scenery. You, uh, you need a change of pace and a little bit more depth. And I wanted, well, both Jules and I wanted to take our work into a more focused sphere. Um, and this is it. We found the Karoo. The Karoo found us. Um, we were accepted. And, you know, you're so right. Um, this place, the Karoo, has become a brand, a proper, proper heartland brand of South Africa. Um, you see it everywhere. You see it in in the farm stays that are now becoming popular. You see it in the food that is that is being marketed from the Karoo. You see it in various other products, in the tours that uh, people are offering, uh, specific tailor-made heritage tours. And you also see it in this explosion of books, which we are, I'm pleased to say, very much part of. Mm. Um, and, you know, I just have to tell you, we're so excited at the moment because after even after 20 years of writing books and 14 14 published books etc etc it's when a new book is in the offing when a new book is about to arrive it's like a baby coming from the hospital and everything is prepped here waiting for the arrival of Karoo Road 3 Carew Roads 1 and 2 have been sellout successes and Carew Roads 3 has been oversubscribed already pretty much It'll, it will be available and it will be available on uh, order through through uh, used to be mail order in back in the day now it's online I'm sure the point is I think many people latch onto what they can in terms of material for the armchair travel as they plan the real thing the Karoo it has become extraordinarily popular among people that I think have, I suppose, longed in a sense to do what you've done and to, to go and head away from the big smoke and to find somewhere real to connect with something like that. For you, what has the, the experience of actually doing it been like? It's been like, if you can imagine stepping into a cave and finding, it's the old story, the Aladdin's cave, finding a huge treasure chest opening the treasure chest and just discovering endless baubles because to to my wife partner Julie and myself um a good story is like a diamond to other people and cuz we we are storytellers we are just we are from a, a long line that goes back maybe a thousand years to people that used to travel from town to town, entertaining, whatever. Um, we feel a connection to that. And, and so the Karoo has been that treasure chest of narrative for us. Well, you've distilled it into a series of, of books, the Karoo Roads Trilogy. The third in the yeah. series is, is, has just been released. And we're going to be 
traveling with you now in this Karoo Roads podcast companion. It's a series that I'm sure is going to be extraordinarily well-traveled with uh, people that have longed to join you on your adventures, and now they can by means of this podcast audio series, and hopefully it will encourage them to buy the books and then to reach out and make contact with you and hopefully join you on the road on one of your adventures. Let's take a listen to the first story in the series. The first story in the series is about the Calfinia Museum. It's about a mission to the Calfinia Museum. There are treasures to be found in little museums in the small Platteland towns. And in this chapter, we search for the golden fleece of the Karoo. It's a search which begins and ends in this little Calfinia Museum in the Northern Cape. Approaching the Hantam Berga near Calfinia in the Northern Cape, we bring the mother of all seasonal thunderstorms in tow. Jagged streaks of lightning cross the sky. Dark veils of rain sweep wide across the horizon. The streets of Calfinia are drenched, but no one is rushing for shelter. There's been an eight-year drought, and any form of rainfall is a cause for celebration. Farmers are dancing in the felt, and when you pitch up in a Karoo town in the middle of a thunderstorm, everyone gives you rain credits. Donkey for the end. We have the famous Booker Hayes on Water Street, all to ourselves courtesy of Alta and Edwin Kutsia, who also thank us for the downpour. Normally reserved for serious writers, needing a place in the country to work on their manuscripts, Ibukahes is a large Karoo-style home with a library full of noble tomes. But the Kutsias don't mind the nature of our seemingly frivolous mission. They know us by now. At dawn the next morning, we go streetwalking through a rain-washed Calfinia, the storm has left the air clean, the dust is tamped down, and the day is full of possibilities. All the lovely, familiar things are still here. The bluxum's a big post box, the biggest in the world. Dr. Kutsia's golden Rolls Royce, they say he used to herd livestock with it. The five roses enamel tea sign atop number 17 Water Street. The humble little Hope Street building housing a newspaper with a big backstory. And look, there goes the town's remarkable singing traffic cop. Calfinia is just as we left it six years ago. We arrive at the Calfinia Museum as curator Memsi van Weyck and her assistant Adonis de Vere are opening the doors to the erstwhile Jewish synagogue. This museum isn't perhaps as expansive as the McGregor in Kimberley, but it's so eccentric it can leave you smiling for days. Take, for instance, the section dedicated to the Lombard quads of Louis Fontaine. Born in Calfinia in 1951, Classy, Duval, Jan, and de Villiers all turned 70 sometime this year. It's a platelant thing to be nicknamed after the profession. 
trade, or general item for which you are most locally famous? Swiss van Rensburg, tires van Sale, Fitzpomp Ferreira, Willem Stahl, Piers Kalf Potgieter, and so on. The story goes that immediately after she gave birth to the quads, Johanna Lombard became known locally as Honey Fiedlin. The Philadelphia Inquirer caught up with the six-year-olds in 1957. The American newspaper reported that the Lombard quads used to sing and rock each other to sleep at night. Now that's a show one could sell tickets to. The quads were identical, so much so that when they were babies, the hospital pinned name tags to them. Honey stayed in hospital from February till April. In fact, she only saw them 11 days after the birth. Her two daughters, eight and four, were delighted and heard to exclaim, two for you and two for me. Apart from a collection of family photographs in the Lombard room, four child-sized dolls dressed in bow ties, waistcoats and cricketing whites, each holding a little shepherd's crook, four walking rings, four cots, four christening robes, four babies' bonnets and what looks to be four toddler leashes are on display. Honey Fiedling wasn't going to let any of them escape from under her eye. And here's Tech Bood Corner with an aging diorama of a settler couple completely engrossed, as they have been for many, many years, in preparing supper in their outdoor Asposkadam, live bush shelter. There's even a glow in the fire. Not long after the Turkbus came to live here permanently, the Jewish Smosa, traveling traders, arrived. Many of them stayed on, opening various enterprises that ranged from general goods stores to later automobile shops. Others were farmers, photographers, hoteliers, chemists, and doctors. Some became rich during the ostrich boom just before World War I. Just check out the elegant Carmel Villa guesthouse on Pastore Street. It was once owned by a trader called Leon Helfert, who had a shop in town and shares in another establishment down south in Middlepost, where even today they still sell their sweeties to the kids in newspaper twists. Many old synagogues in Karoo towns have morphed into something quite different. The Jewish synagogue in Craddock became a legal aid office with a big roof attachment lending maximum 1980s ugliness. The Frafrenet one is now a Postdorf club. The imposing Calfinia synagogue, built in 1919, was eventually donated to the municipality for use as a museum in 1970. The 120-odd Jewish families who lived there once are commemorated as a community in a special section of the museum. A relatively small but very significant blast-in box has found its way to the Jewish section. Inside is a four-legged ostrich chick, its little beak gently resting on a stick. A Calfinia carpenter, remembered only as Dupier, glued two artificial legs to the stuffed chick more than a century ago, back when snake oil salesmen were just as thick on the ground as they are today. Dupria used to move from farm to farm doing the odd carpentry job. To make a few bucks on the side, he took his four-legged ostrich with him and charged the farm children a penny each to see it. It finally became the possession of a prominent local, Max Rosenblatt, who donated it to the museum, and to this very day, people like us continue to pay to see this wondrous apparition. Nearby is what looks like a courtroom jury box. On the wall 
is a tribute to Judge Leopold Greenberg, a Calfinian who presided over the sensational Daisy DeMelka murder case in 1932. Remember Daisy? She married two plumbers and poisoned them both for the insurance. Then somehow her 20-year-old son displeased her, so she killed him as well. Daisy was sent to the gallows. Many locals have donated their family trinkets to the museum. There's a pair of shoes that form part of Mrs. Sunny Nell's bridal outfit on her wedding day in 1868. And here's a coat spun from the thread of 2,000 silkworms. Mrs. Charlotte de Witt fed them a daily sugar bag full of mulberry leaves for two weeks and kept vigil over them day and night, catching a couple of hours sleep once in a while. Outside stands a Victorian-era version of a camper van, a smos wagon that served as both the traders' sleeping quarters and stockroom. It is simply a container-sized wooden box on metal wheels drawn, one surmises, by a sturdy team of oxen. In one of his books, titled The Land of Afternoon, written by Lawrence Green, he describes the smos life of that. In the days when farmers lived in extreme isolation, the smos was a welcome visitor. Some of his stock in trade might be glittering rubbish, but he also carried useful articles. Knives sold by the wandering smos are still giving service on distant farms. Biblical and other oleographs adorn the walls of farm homesteads. His trinkets survive in jewelry boxes passed down from mother to daughter. Right next to it is the classic 1952 Ford V8 Bucky with its distinctive white grill. In the wool boom days, it was a farmer's favorite, full of style and attitude. That very model was Ford's maiden crossover from farm-only vehicle to general market jammy. To lure buyers from the city, the Ford marketing team went into top gear, touting all the comforts of what they dubbed the million-dollar cab because of its huge redesigned budget. The cab was said to be quieter and wider, sporting innovations like an easily read instrument panel, sun visors, and an ashtray. Hot stuff. Holding court near the entrance of the museum stands the Makadas Class 24 steam loco that used to haul Calfinia's wool to Williston, then to Hutchinson, and finally onto the main line to the markets of old Port Elizabeth. Why Makadas? Various theories abound. The English version is that a bored fireman told his driver to make a dash. The Afrikaans version is that Makadas. Makadas is the rhythmic sound made by the slowly turning wheels of the locomotive as it gathered speed. Take your pick. MC van Veik, born and bred in California, has been the curator of this museum for a decade. She keeps a record of the 1,700-odd items, big and small, in storage and on display here. Everything has a story, she says, and it is such a joy when you find that story. Like the possible background to an unsized painting donated by one Amina Adams. It's of a wagon in the felt, manned by people of color. Trekpurs, one discovers, came in all shades. This particular group in the painting are possibly busters, trekking northwards from the colonial Cape to the wildest spaces along the Orange River. In fact, when one digs a little deeper, it emerges that trek boot parties consisted of just about any nationality or hue imaginable, from San to Spaniard. Adonis de Vere is Memsi's right-hand man. 
He was born on a nearby farm, picking up some ex- essential skills like wire fencing, painting, meat processing, and product packing. He ensures the gardens are looking as beautiful as a drought cycle will allow. Together, they keep this classic Karoo Imaginarium shipshape and often updated with little innovations. But where's the fluffy sheep, we ask Adonis. Come, let me show you. So off we go to an adjoining building, and there, under glass, is the scruffiest merino you ever saw, the Pochenpool. The morning light shines through the window and casts an amber glow on the Pochenpool's shag. And for a brief, fanciful second, we feel like the Greek Arcanauts of old. We have found the Golden Fleece. Its owner is possessed of kindly eyes, a hint of a smile, dainty little feet, and a matching set of curled horns. This fellow once belonged to Dani Pochenpoel from Buenekral Farm up in the Rochefeld Mountains. It went AWOL from its flock for a few years and skipped many shearing seasons. It was so remarkably tatty that the farmer kept it like that, and when it died, had it stuffed and donated to the California Museum. The Pochenpoel sheep lives on behind glass and under the watchful eye of the Calfinia Museum curator and her able assistant. For an insider's view on life in the Karoo, get the three-book special of Karoo Roads 1, Karoo Roads 2 and Karoo Roads 3 by Julian Detoy and Chris Morer for only 760 Rand, including courier costs in South Africa. For more details, contact Julie at julie at karoospace.co.za. Betty Dills and Macy's is frisco. Have a dick of cities, a little Have a dick of lays on your fast glow in your cold haze, too. Echo haste to Echo haste to Echo haste 